Welcome listeners, thank you for the great honour you do us of turning up to our 88th edition and well done and welcome to all my um, panel for, for today, let's start, Jane, welcome, hello, hello, thank you Paul, the boss, hello, <laughs> no headphones today, he is battery free, and Stuart, hello, God bless you. Now I got into trouble last week because I was witching on a bit and and uh, and I got told off uh, about so straight down to now, now you see you, you get cross with me that the because I'm witching on too much. But then, then Heather, by the way, it's good to see you. Heather's been very poorly, and she, she's come to join us to, tonight. We are very, very welcome. Um, okay, uh, moment of the week. Um, Paul, what was your moment of the week? So uh, there's a story about unions warn against government's reckless proposals to let bosses use agency workers to break strikes. So people like, we're going to be talking about this and we'll go into further detail on this, but people just don't understand what strikes are. The only power a worker has is the ability to withdraw their labour. And there are things written into law to make sure that that strike cannot legally be undermined. There's legal protections on both sides. There's so much protection for the employer and there's very little little protection for for employees. But one of the things is that you really can't, get other people to come in and do your job for you. Like that's that's really seen as being um, a bad thing to do in the workplace. You know, like if someone withdraws their labour, that job doesn't get done. But increasingly we see it does get done and then um, they're trying to change the legislation to make, make it legal to have temporary agency workers do the jobs so that they get done, which kind of negates the point of having a strike. So, yeah. Thank you. Um... Uh, some other moments of the week. We always love it when our listeners share moments. There were Laura, who's not with us today, um, but she and Neil Terry um, are photographing. Uh, 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 their moments of the week is uh, the Women's Banner Group. Now, I saw things things on Facebook of them stood there with this sort of um, unfurled banner and, 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 and all the things. Um, but I don't know the details. Does anybody know? Paul, what's the details of that? What, what were they meeting for? Um, it was a bit of a catch up to see who was going to be um, who was going to be carrying the banner, the logistics of the day for the Durham Miners. They've done loads of things lately, though. So um, Laura's been up doing a presentation at the Baltic Art Gallery, where the banner's been displayed as part of a larger work, which is absolutely incredible. Um, so I'm very proud of all the work that Laura and the Women's Banner Group are doing, and I'm sort of glad you asked me because I'm I'm the unofficial male member of the women's banner group which is always sort of. it's always nice i'm a kind of honorary member but like you know i'm i'm definitely you at the bottom of the pile loper, sort <laughs> of. um the um women's banner group is is major importance uh, and 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 all strength there are jacqueline um the court of human rights in strasbourg have granted you a rule 39 request to stop the flight to rwanda leaving um can um, Paul, when, when we're talking about that, can you remember that? That's that's our first um, topic. Um, Jacqueline has also seen her unborn grandson on a three D scanner. She says he looks very grumpy, looking very. You mustn't say that. They all look beautiful. When I was born, my father um, saw him at the hospital, and he walked home. Um, because he didn't he, he didn't catch the bus home because he knew when he got back he was going to be asked whether it was a beautiful baby and and he couldn't bring himself to lie he had to work home practices practicing his response apparently I was the ugliest thing he'd ever seen in his life the um okay how we go Stuart what's your moment of the week my moment of the week is the uh, upcoming TUC demand better rally that's going to be taking place in London on Saturday this Saturday 18th of June 
there's going to be plenty of trade unions and good people out marching to, to demand what's deserved, what people have earned, what, what we need if we want to have a society that functions. So I'm hoping that lots of people watching this or uh, socialist think tank members will, will be there to, to catch up and we'll try and meet up if we can. That, that's sort of, I mean, again, we, 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 we're plundering the, the things from um, later on in the, the, the show. Um, but since the beginning of lockdown, the private sector wages have gone up 8.2%. Um, of course, city bonuses have just gone through the roof. Um, uh, the public sector wages have gone up 1.6%. And uh, sort of we're being told uh, that we need to um, show pay restraint, but more of that later. Um, uh, Leanne Powells has passed her level for digiting market, digital marketing course. Congratulations, well done. And um, Jane, oh no, I, I, you, you, I, you've, uh, you've leaked your moment of the week. This is, listening people, this is major. So just to bring us back down again, um, Peter Apps, who I think he's an editor, the deputy editor for Inside Housing magazine, which is a social housing magazine. He has put out a lot of really interesting inf um, information on Grenfell, um, and he's been trying to keep people aware of what's been coming out of the inquiry. On the 7th of June, he put out a thread on Twitter, and I think it's something like 68 tweets. And I've read every single one, and I couldn't stop reading them. Every single one is another terrible, terrible thing that happened somewhere along the chain, an awful decision that someone knowingly made or that companies or organisations knowingly made, which could have, you know, if they hadn't done them, could have prevented this fire. It's absolutely horrendous. I just can't believe people have done these things and I can't believe no one's put in jail for it. And I'm not normally someone who thinks of punishment as a way to deal with things, but it's just not okay some of the things that I read there all of it made me so angry thank you I mean it's quite likely that Grenfell will be one of the topics that we're talking about next week um so um we'll, we'll bring you in to give us some of those details thank you very much indeed Shane um uh Mia's moment of the week is the the Peckham protesters managing to get a deportation stopped well done uh to them I saw that as well Mia uh, Mark Lungley attended a symposium on diabetes um, and he's um, helping research into helping construct the algorithms for closed loop systems. So um, that's major. Um, it's a, a real nasty killer is diabetes. Thank you, Mark, for what you're doing. Um, Oh yes, Heather's lost four stone two pounds. <laughs> She's been very poorly and her weight has gone down four stone. Congratulations, Heather, well done. Um, uh, and Julie said, on the fifth anniversary of Grenfell, we've sent a flight out to Rwanda. And, Rwanda, and let's talk about that now. Can oh. I just can I just say before we go any further, that is incredibly, I hope Heather's okay, because that is incredibly worrying. That is a massive amount of weight to lose in a short space of time, so... She's been very poorly, yes. Yeah, so, um, yeah, hope, hope you're feeling okay. So I will continue on with... Now it's time for the big story. And the big story, the week after the Platinum Jubilee, I might point out, sort of the, the socialist think tank, we're on to all this um, sort of royalist stuff. Prince Charles has been uh, criticising Priti Patel's Rwanda deportation scheme as appalling. Now, you know, this is the scheme whereby if you come across to try and be safe in our country, if you come across in a boat across the channel, um, we're going to send you to Rwanda, <laughs> which is the most sensible thing we can think of to do with you. Um, and uh, Prince Charles thinks that that is appalling. And so, by the way, does the Church of England, the, the, the Archbishop of Canterbury and other bishops have criticised it. Um, there have been demonstrations about it. And um, Claire, Claire for Calais, Claire Mosley says what's on all our mind, Paul, why is our government 
so very determined to spend so much taxpayers' money on a brutal plan that shames us all, Paul. Um, firstly, the reason that they want to do it is because they're, it, it's, a, it's a wonderful, wonderful distraction from the real problems for them. So if they can have people worried about immigration, if they can worry about people who are making rafts out of empty Coke bottles and things like that, and if they can have working class people in this country thinking, I'm more worried about what they're going to take from me than what billionaires take from me every day, from what my boss takes from me, from what Rishi Sunak takes from me, from what, you know, when, when they're developing these amazing portfolios for themselves, when they're developing these amazing policies that are going to make the rich people richer and the, and the poor people poorer. If they get us distracted with something else, this bogeyman who is going to come across the sea on a boat and take your fictional job, fictitious job, um, you know, that's why it's so important for them to be seen to be doing something about this because they've really planted the flag and they've said, we are going to deal with this huge, huge problem, which in my view is a humanitarian issue. It is a huge problem that people need to move away from war zones and all these different places. It does. It is a terrible, terrible thing. But the solution is not to send them to Rwanda at a greater cost than it would do, would do to integrate them into a society. Um it's inhumane and I'm disgusted by it. I'm very glad that Prince Charles also thinks it's appalling, but I think that's, you know, to think this is appalling is an incredibly low bar for anyone. But what does worry me is I do the, sometimes do those YouGov chat surveys, which again could have been another moment of the week because we found out that YouGov are, are very, very complicit in the 2017 election loss for the Labour Party but you know that's for another time but um, I, I do those and it was something like for 52% of people thought it was appalling but like about a good solid 42% of people thought it was a good policy to send people to Rwanda where is our humanity what has happened to us that we've been told so much in the press that this is a good idea to do horrible horrible things like, why do it? And I, I really, I'm, I'm deeply concerned about that. I mean, I, I'm going to quiz you on some of these. You, you say the things that we've been told in the press. And so I want you to and sort of, I want to go through a number of things quickly with you, Paul, just throwing them out at you and getting your response to those. These, these are the arguments of um, Priti Patel and the government um, uh, sort of in favour of the Rwanda scheme. OK, and I'll just tell you, tell you them and, and then it'd be nice to hear what your response is. Uh, sort of, can I just point out to listeners that sort of my job is to challenge the team and and sort of and and to say perhaps what people in the street would say to them, and then that gives you the re reply when they say it to you. It doesn't necessarily mean I believe the things I'm about to say. <laughs> so, but but um, sometimes I do, but sometimes I don't. Okay. Um, Saving lives. What we've got is we've got people risking their lives, dying, drowning, trying to get across the channel. Um, absolutely inappropriate, uh, inappropriately. If we sort of make that pointless, if, if coming across the channel in a dinghy, all that will happen is that you get set, sent to Rwanda. We'll end up sending nobody to Rwanda because they, they, they won't bother coming across. They're, they're trying to get to England, not to Rwanda. Is there not an argument that this ultimately will stop or certainly um, hinder the flow of uh, refugees across the channel on, on, on rubber dinghies? Um, well, if you look at deterrence, deterrence actually don't work at stopping crimes. So if you think this is a crime, like th there's a whole argument around this as well. Deterrence, like prison sentences, don't stop people murdering people. You know, like these, it, it isn't a deterrent for them. What you'll, what we really need to be doing in that case is if you really wanted to stop the people trafficking that's going on, 
which again is illegal. And when people come here, a lot of those people will sort of disappear and work illegally and move into modern slavery and all sorts of awful things will happen to those people. Create safe routes. Create a safe way of them coming to this country. You know, what's wrong with taking on some refugees? You know, create safe routes. That is the way to stop people smuggling. What you What they're saying is, this is the way to try and stop that and also never have them here and make it someone else's problem. So that is what they're saying at the moment, rather than actually dealing with the issue of those people risking their lives. Second argument, that the um, immigration system is broken, quote, it costs 1.5 billion a year, and we spent 5 million a day on hotels. That's ultimately um, having a system that works will be uh, save us all that money. Someone will come in in the comments to help me here with exact figures, but the, this system is actually going to cost a lot more than than the current hotel system and things like that. And again, just do things that are more human, like allow people to live their lives here, integrate people properly rather than trying to like keep them as prisoners in this country and detain them in places like, you know, we're seeing at Hassock Field and stuff like that. You don't need to detain people. Create safe passage. Allow them to come here and live their lives and contribute. Most of these people are of working age and have a lot of skills about them. They've managed to get halfway across the world. They're very, very admirable people. More resourceful than most people I know. Um, so I imagine they would contribute really well to the economy rather than being a drain on the, on the economy if we stopped seeing them as the enemy and stopped trying to sort of detain them and imprison them and things like that. So, you know, but again, the argument is sending them to Rwanda is also going to cost a lot more. It, it, it is. <laughs> Actually, the, uh, the, the, if, I, if I, I'm being perhaps uh, supercilious here, but the, the, um, the conditions of the hotel that they're going to be staying in is it's quite, it seems, from what we've seen of it on the news, it seems quite as good as um, you get if you go on one of these cheap um, hotel dues. Here's a second, a last, um, uh, uh, another one. Johnson, this is what the Prime Minister says, that opposing Rwanda is undermining people's general acceptance of immigration. Well, you might open your eyes, Paul. I don't understand what it means either. Have you any idea how um, opposing sending them to Rwanda is might be undermining people's acceptance of immigration? Boris Johnson just says anything. He says anything. Um, I'll, I'll use this opportunity to re reiterate something that his former boss who sacked him for lying said. Boris Johnson doesn't believe there is such thing as truth. He doesn't believe that he can speak the truth. He doesn't believe that anyone can speak the truth because it's all so subjective. It's one of those things that, you know how everyone's truth's a little bit different, but he's warped that around in order to say, well, because the truth is subjective, I can therefore say anything I want without lying. So he doesn't believe he is capable of lying because he doesn't believe that he is capable, that it is possible for anyone to lie. So therefore he will say literally anything to back up his point. And he's, the, he's just said something there, hasn't he? He's just said some words. Just said his words make... and, and, and uh, people, it's, it's, it's nonsense. Um, one, of the, one of the issues which isn't nonsense, because the UN believes it's an issue, is this about countries of transit. Um, uh, sort of the, the fact that the, these people are passing through perfectly safe countries uh, to come to our country. Um, um, now, sort of... Uh, the UN thinks, the UN is proposing um, that, that discussions happen with those countries of, of transit, um, that we uh, sort of negotiate with Europe about these things. Um, uh, as an alternative, what's your reaction to the, the, the sort of that, Paul? We do live in a world where we have neighbours and things. Um, the Brit Britain had a big empire and... For a lot of people, Britain is a is is the is a beacon of hope and is a beacon of a safe haven for them. That should be, you know, we were waving flags and things. I don't know, like you know, last week for the Queen's Jubilee and 
people say how proud they are to be British. Why are they proud to be British? Wouldn't it be nice if some people who were proud to be British would then say, I am proud to be British because we can offer a safe home for other people, because we can speak to other nations and take our fair share, and also because we are part of a worldwide community. We are diverse. We've got links everywhere. There are people who speak um, the language of Great Britain throughout the world. People speak English all over the place. It is a very, very popular language. So there are things that I think you can be sort of proud of, as in you can do something very, very positive in the world. But we're refusing to do those things. It's like, oh, I'm proud to be British. Stay away. They're boasting about how brilliant Britain is. Keep out. You know, and, and the people, people here aren't being actually treated very well either at the time. So if you want to be this fiercely patriotic person, I think you should be saying, yes, we should be taken on our fair share by negotiating with other countries of people who have been displaced through war or famine or all sorts of other different things we should be proud of what we can offer and uh, yeah that's basically, that's it for me i mean i i think everybody will be agreeing with you on that it's sort of it's sort of you can be patriotic but you have to have a country which you're proud to be in and since 19 since the second world war we've slid from the country which stood alone against fascism um, to a country which sends boat people to Rwanda to get rid of them. Um, it's sort of a, a cause for shame. Uh, Stuart, um, thank you, Paul, for those questions. Stuart, um, uh, Judge Singh, now, sort of, um, a number of um, publications have pointed out that he was born in Delhi. He's a Sikh who came here, um, a genius of a person. And, and a, a very, very highly respected judge. Um, and he ruled the other day that um, the flight had to be allowed to go ahead. Um, I mean, is this just a case of Justice Singh pulling up the drawbridge? Uh, I, th I think, uh, you know, people can be of varied opinion no matter where they come from or their, their own personal histories but I know that this judge has a, a history of voting against the, the better interests of the common people certainly uh, historically he voted against universal credit being rolled out to legacy benefits uh, when it was brought forward that it was you know discriminating against those with disabilities uh, and other conditions he, you know, it, it's almost as if he was picked for the job based on his, his voting record, his record of decisions. Uh, lots of people who you think would have a, a natural connection to, uh, you know, common people uh, or a, a link to a particular topic, once they're in positions of power uh, or, or wealth, you know, can, uh, you know, subvert your expectations. Uh, I, I don't think. You know, we, we should be judging him based on where he comes from. We can just say that he, he is fundamentally in the wrong making this decision. Uh, and we, we could have hoped for a, a judge with, with better ethics. Um, is there a chance that he made the right decision? Is, is it the right decision that he made? Or, or the, I mean, when you're talking about legal issues? I, I mean, I, I'm no lawyer by any measure. But going off the fact that the the flight was looking to be leaving all but empty, it's a good sign that perhaps the, the legal position isn't the right one when most of the passengers that we, you were attempting to send to the, the far side of the world uh, have, have a, the legal right to not to be on that flight, then, you, you know, you should perhaps reconsider your position. Um, I mean, it started off with 130 being on it and it's got reduced to seven. And now, um, according to Jacqueline Hemmings, God bless you, Jacqueline, you are on the ball tonight. Um, sort of, uh, it's not going to be allowed at all, um, which is just um, fabulous news, to tell you the it truth. Um, the, um, I've got a question on this, actually, because what Johnson has said is, quote, the legal world is very good at picking up ways of trying to stop the government from upholding what we think is a sensible law. Um, 
will it be necessary to change some laws to help us as we go along? It may very well be, including withdrawing from the European Court of Human Rights. Um, what's your reaction to that threat, really? We, we, we know that he, he's not uh, above changing the, the, the rules of the game. But I, I do understand that the, the law that has allowed so many people to make sure that they're not on, on that flight was one that was implemented by the Tories in an attempt uh, to change the law previously with regards to immigration to best serve their political agenda. And it's funny that it's uh, their own law tripping them up. And they, it just shows you that they'll keep trying to change the rules of the game. It doesn't matter. Uh, the ethics, what's right, what's wrong to them, they will uh, just muddle everything up, change what they want to get the outcome that they want, and ultimately it will be on the, the shoulders of, of the good people in Britain to, to demand that these things don't take place, that these flights don't leave. Um. The, um, uh, if I can just uh, look at what our, uh, uh, Mark Lungley is talking about, Jeremy Corbyn's definition of patriotism, I, I draw your attention to it, people. Um, uh, Polar Knights is uh, commenting about the uh, subtle ad placement with Paul uh, drinking from Pepsi Max. Um, sort of, um, sort of uh, other brands are available. Um, I've got... Um, uh, thank you so much, Stuart. Um, uh, can um, uh, can I move to you, you, uh, Jane? Um, so far this year, ten thousand people have come across on boats and and and, and other ways to get into the country. Ten thousand boat people. Um, when you facing that kinds of those kind of numbers is it feasible for us to be able to do what paul said we ought to do um when he was talking which is just to say refugees are welcome here come here and make a make a life for yourself you're welcome is is that response feasible so I understand why some people would be frightened and think that, no, that's not feasible. But I do think there's a very strong argument to say that actually, yes, that is feasible. So I think, is it about 70,000 people a year? We've been coping. We've been coping. We've not broken, have we? I, I don't know the last time I couldn't go out of my house because there were so many refugees walking down the street that there wasn't room for me. Um, but I think also... Um, this, the way that society is structured at the moment in this in this country, the way that our economy economy is being run, the way that social housing and affordable housing has been run down to next to nothing, the way the NHS has been defunded, support services have been defunded, it not only does make people feel there's not enough to go around, puts people into poverty, destroys people's lives, it reduces the number of jobs that are available to people, and then. Opportunities could be and if we ran things in a different way, if we just looked at what we really want to achieve in the society, funded public services properly, um, made housing affordable, I don't think there would be any problems at all. And we need to remember too that it's not just people coming into this country every year. There are lots of people going out of this country every year as well. And um, I know it's a, it's nice to be able to think of this um, rather than you know thinking of economic things, but. I just get really tired of the way that we're constantly told to view people as a number, as a cost. The initial cost of this person coming to this country is this and never looking at the flip side of that when you think, what do they contribute to society in their lifetime? Probably for most people, an awful lot more than any sort of cost you could put down in numbers to them coming in. So I, I really do think we can, but I think it's a mistake to dismiss people's concerns that it's not possible you know it's easy to get angry and just think oh that's an awful way to look at how where's your humanity it's a little bit racist but I think it's really important not to just have those knee-jerk reactions and to speak to people and talk these things through. Thank you I mean especially as we're in a, a full employment situation um, uh, and, and, and many people crying out for workers. Um, 
Um, uh, oh, where are we? Um, uh, Ruth Davison points out that the ECHR has ruled on one individual, so it's currently down to six passengers. Um, I do um, uh, point out to people that Priti Patel has said that it's going ahead even if there's just one, and the justification she gave for that is that it's costing half a million pounds for that flight, and the costs cannot be reimbursed. So we're going to use it even if it's just one. And she's saying that it has... Um, uh, symbolic um, uh, thing. And the other thing I've just got to comment on um, before we move on is that have you, uh, have you heard that um, people at the Home Office um, in the, the refugee section of the Home Office have been sticking up Paddington Go Home posters and they've been putting up Refugees Welcome Here stickers. And what they, what they say, they've issued a statement that they are um, anonymous, but they've issued a statement saying the reason they went into um, the Home Office to deal with refugees is because they cared about refugees and what happened to them, um, and not so they could um, uh, find ways to stick the knife into them. Um, and the quote, Ukraine has shown how the government can rouse itself to care for people, but why has this kind of response never happened for the people in desperate situations in Yemen, Ethiopia, Sudan, Palestine, and Afghanistan. So well done, Home Office. Uh, that's that's a absolutely marvelous news. Um, thank you everybody for those comments. Um, uh, um, let's move on, other questions. Stuart, unions branded selfish by number 10. Now, these strikes on the 21st, the 23rd, and the 25th of June, they're going to seriously inconvenience Glastonbury. Um, they're going to affect the Manchester Athletics competition and a concert in Hyde Park by the Rolling Stones. And there's a number of smaller events that saying that they're just going to have to cancel because it will wreck them. Um, Johnson is calling it reckless and wanton number 10 is calling it selfish is this strike selfish reckless and wanton it's the absolute opposite it is the uh the, the last straw for a union to go on strike it's it's members it's workers don't want to be on strike uh but it is the last action that they can take to to influence a decision it's not taken lightly never taken lightly nobody wants to take these people out of the workplace. That's the, you know, the be, a, be all and end all. What they are doing is they're in a position where they need to fight for their jobs, for their pay, their conditions. And there is a, you know, this has been a, a multiple year buildup and escalation where ultimately uh, RMT has had to, to take this decision. The government uh, and Network Rail has walked away from the table as such. They don't want to progress anything. And it's, uh, it's been communicated to the general public by the, the Conservative Party and, and uh, its newspapers that are in their pockets, that this is a selfish act, that it's, uh, you know, some crazy right, uh, left-wing militant RMT union uh, vendetta. Uh, the Telegraph said that it was uh, like the coal miners before them, the real strikers are turkeys voting for Christmas. When in reality, what they're doing is they're, they're fighting plans uh, that would see 3,000 maintenance workers cut out of 11,000 as Network Rail tries to modernise maintenance by taking people's jobs away. Uh, it's about you know staffing stations where cutting uh, staffing will see uh, stations less safe, less accessible. We will, you know, ultimately, we will have a much worse uh, rail network because of these decisions, unless network rail buses get back to the table and actually put on an offer that allows its workers to come back to work that will, you know, respect them in a way where they can actually afford to tackle 
the, the cost of living increase. And, you know, they, they will have never earned that. They, they were the key workers. We were clapping for them not long ago. You know, they are they're vitally important and absolute solidarity for the RMT workers and any other workers who were standing in solidarity with them. Um, I mean, the, the, the reference to the, the minor strike is absolutely um, on point, I think, Stuart. I mean, this is being called the biggest industrial battle in a generation. 20,000 people coming out on strike. And, um, and yeah, uh, absolutely right. It's not um, a, a strike for pay. It's a strike about the future of an industry. It is very similar to the, uh, the, the, the miners striking that response. I mean, are you telling us that this is um, a fight that the RMT just cannot afford to lose? It's, sort of, it's, a, it's a, a must not lose fight. It's, a, it's almost a fight for the very soul of our expectations of a real network. You know, we, we used to go into to train stations and you see conductors and, you know, there's people there who are looking out for your safety. It's one of the most, you know, it, a real network's a dangerous thing. You know, you're, you're reducing staffing levels of maintenance. Disaster happens. It, it did happen in the 90s and the early 2000s. We had a series of disasters because this, they tried to do this in the past. They took thousands of lives ultimately, you know, and it, it continues across the globe. We have to take the real network serious. And as we're more aware of people who have extra needs uh, and require extra support to access society, we need people in stations, on trains, that will provide that support. We can't go to a computer-based system and expect everything to, to be okay. We can't modernize the humanity out of a system that's built for humans. And ultimately, the things like the Telegraph saying, it's like the coal miners voting for Christmas. Is that the government telling us that they're just going to turn the real network off one day and say, that's it, we're taking it away from you. We're going to cripple the industry, we're going to cripple the country to get back at these people. All they're asking for is to be treated fairly with decent wages that allow them to live decent lives. It's big um, human decency. I've got some issues for you here. Um, uh, the, the first one is um, just very briefly, Stuart, because we're running out of time. Um, the uh, RMT have been joined by Unite Workers, um, but not by the Gobia Thameslink Railway um, employees. Is that, a, is that a setback for the strike? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, Unite is uh, one of the biggest unions in the country. Uh, obviously, RMT is the, the big player in the real network industry, but they are not the only unions that uh, operate in, in that sector. There's the, the salary the key, key thing is going to be the TSSA, isn't it? Just talking it tactics here. The, 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 the middle management. Uh, yeah, so they, they handle anything that is to do with, uh, you know, the, the levels of safety. So anything with electricity, management, you know, those things that require an extra level of safety. And certainly there will be pressure on, on their members uh, when these strikes do take place. I think that um, the, the, the comparison was not that they're trying to destroy the rail industry like they tried to destroy the mining industry. This is that they're trying to destroy the RMT like they destroyed yeah. the union. I've got one more thing about it. Um, sort of, um, I was going to ask Jane about this, but I'll bring it in for you. Um, uh, this all links to the Tory manifesto uh, suggestion of, of a minimum service proposal, doesn't it? That the unions will be required um, to, to sign up uh, uh, to a legal minimum service proposal. I mean, what, 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 what's the future of that as far as you're concerned? I mean, can, can you advise us on that? On... Ultimately, every worker should have the right to fight for their own paying conditions. Taking away workers' rights won't create a, a workspace that will be beneficial for anyone. Uh, you know, there's actions, there's manoeuvres going on to take these things away from people. The government, Network Rail, want to spend as little on staff as they possibly can. And it's, you know, ultimately, it's, it's people that we need. It's people that we trust. These, these people understand our needs and we should be, you know, standing with them. When they say that this is a bad idea, they know better than us on this one. Uh, and uh, the government needs to take that on board. They need to come to the table. 
Network Rail needs to get uh, together. Everybody needs to come back to the table. And it, RMT's only taken these actions because there's absolutely zero movement. This Thank you. Thank you, Stuart. Thank you. Um, Jane, um, I'm, I'm so sorry to people to, to cut off Stuart like that, but um, I, I sort of, it's, uh, uh, I could talk all night, Jane, but time's moving on. Um, what do you think the public, Jane, think of all this? Um, there's people in the uh, comments saying that, that the public are generally in support of it. I've got people in the newspaper sort of saying, if you don't like your pay, get another job. I mean, what, what do you think the general feeling of the, the, um, the public is? I think it's. Um, I think there are a lot of people in support of the um, of the RMT workers. Um, I'm sure there are some people who are, you know, who are reading the horrible headlines. The way that things are being framed is nasty. But I think things like that. Um, the GMB poll that they put out on Twitter. The way I read that question to be framed, I thought, you know, they said something like, you know, the terrible disruption that this is causing. Do you think it's they're doing it that wasn't it but it, you know it was really famed I thought to get a you know a negative response but it was overwhelmingly in favour of the RMT strikers and I was really heartened to see that actually and I think um, I think Novara uh, Media showed a clip from Loose Women which was fantastic I was really surprised to see on mainstream TV people coming out in support and saying no it's okay they're doing the right thing this is their right to do this so I think um I think maybe the right-wing media is losing a little bit of grip on this situation. I don't think people are as overwhelmingly against the strikers as um, they would like. I think there's a lot of support for them. Yeah, um, just um, one, one last uh, question for you. Um, uh, Shaps has said that COVID has changed our travel habits. And that uh, he, what he's doing is he's pitching this as um, an, a, a, an industry response to um, the changes in what the public want. Um, I mean, what's your response to that, Jane? They always back up what they're doing with some sort of sweeping statement. I don't remember there being any big consultation to find out what people wanted. And I feel as a passenger who has felt unsafe on public transport, unstaffed public transport and stations on several occasions, the thought of being in a situation where I don't feel safe and knowing there are no staff around is not in my interest and it's not what I want. Thank you. Finally to Paul. Um, are we facing, uh, looking at the wider issue, are we facing a summer of discontent across many um, areas here? Is, is this just the, the start of um, a, a number of strikes? There's, um, there's definitely something bubbling under the surface. What we've seen for too many years, I think, and I think this might have started um, with the quite cosy relationship unions had with the previous Labour government it changed the way unions behaved for a very long time. So we had a generation of people who were leading the trade union movement who were like very pragmatic and very much like, if you went to that Labour government with genuine issues, they would negotiate and they would. And I know this is, uh, my trade union did it and they worked in something called social partnership and many people were against that idea. But... It was kind of it kind of worked out quite well until the government changed, and then they're like, "Oh, what can we do other than work in social partnership?" So slowly, it's dawning on people. But again, like you know, we don't have that fire about us. I think as a nation, we're quite subservient to authority. I think we look at like you know, we look at say the royal family, which were trained from a very young age. They're better than us, um, and I think people take that and internalize it, and I think. Although people like would like to say Britain's an incredibly strong nation, I think people aren't willing to stand up for their rights in the same way as French people are, for example. So perhaps we won't have a, a summer of discontent, but it won't be because there shouldn't be one. It will be because people don't even know now how to stand up for their rights. They don't know how to go and protest because protest is a, a, a kind of well, we've got laws against it and, and things like that, so it could be a very worrying time 
Thank you. Um, sort of some fabulous comments, which I'd love to read out. And I just haven't got time, people. I'm so sorry about that. Um, uh, I do notice that Mick Hills has, is, has joined us. What a privilege. Thank you, Mick. Wow, having you as a listener. Sort of, it should be the other way around. You should be here. <laughs> I should be listening to you. The um, uh, uh, Just one last question, Paul. We're... we're Moving forward into a stagflation economy, the Bank of England has urged pay restraint. Um, is there not a danger if we start giving way to, to pay uh, increases that we, that, that we will force the Bank of England to start putting interest rates and we'll throw ourselves into a recession? Is, is there not um, uh, economic danger here? We're already in a recession. Um, uh, I love this. I love this. Like, oh, you, you know, you need to be restrained about your pay. Your, you, 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 oh, oh, sorry, sorry. Oh, I should. Oh, I can't ask for any more pay. I'll only spend it on food. Um, it's it's absolutely preposterous the way they're going on. They they just don't understand. Like, you, you need to restrain yourself with the amount of you know you you know being able to pay for your own mortgage. How dare you? How dare you do this? This is an appalling situation where you've got awful people who have a plan to make us a low wage, low tax economy that works for billionaires. It's simply that. It's been a long term plan and they are executing it to perfection. They are not making mistakes here. This is not an incompetent government. This is on purpose. Thank you, Paul. Um, Neil, Terry, bankers' bonuses don't need to be restrained. You're absolutely right. Sort of, we believe in the free market economy until the workers start um, exercising their free market rights, and we don't like that. Thank you very much indeed. Um, last question: um, a proposal. We're going to raise the age of smoking, Jane, to twenty-one. Um, okay, let's just start with the easy question: right or wrong? Oh, that's a really hard question because I would have said wrong, actually, because I think so. they're trying to get to net to smoke free country by 2030. And I would say that just telling people you can't do something is not an effective way of doing that. However, I did read that where they'd raised the age in the US and New Zealand, the very early results they've got suggest that it has slightly lowered the rates. And um, when the rate was the age was raised here from 16 to 18, apparently rates amongst young smokers did at least initially go down. So perhaps it might do something. Um the uh, sort of, I mean, basically, the argument of the, the recommendation was that if you're going to get down to 5% by 2030, you're going to have to do more than persuasion. Yeah, I kind of think this government is always very um, reactive, throw a little bit of budget at something, a very little bit normally, and tell people they can't do something, and they never look at the preventative measures that what about giving children some education in school about the real effects what about a proper public health campaign what about having enough gps so that people can get access to treatment if they do want to stop smoking all these things i'm not sure that this is in the mix of what they're looking at doing they're talking about increasing duties, encouraging people to vape. Well, that, that, I'm going to interrupt you, Jane, because that's my, my next thing. I'm going to tell you some of the other things that uh, the other things that this policy is suggesting, and I just want your reaction to it. Is this okay? Um, sort of um, put up the age um, after sort of by one year each year, so that the people who aren't old enough now will never be old enough to smoke. What do, you, what, what do you reckon to that idea? I, I don't think it's the best idea if you want to get results personally. Thank you. Um, so sort of, the concept of never being allowed to smoke is something even I begin to react again. I've never smoked in my whole life. <laughs> the most I've done is light a cigarette for Barbara when she was pregnant. The um, 125 million into preventative measures. But what are the preventative measures? Because the, this government doesn't do proper, well thought out preventative. I'd be very interested to know what they're talking about when they say that. Here's a, here's a good one. Promotion of vapes. 
I thought that there were risks associated with vaping as well. Um, I don't really see that as a, it seems odd to just encourage people to do something else that's a little bit harmful and will cost them money. And have, there's a lot of, I'm assuming there's plastic waste of, um, associated with vaping, which isn't a great thing. Stop supermarkets selling cigarettes. So I live in the southeast of the country and I suspect that should they stop supermarket selling smoking, they might find there's a lot more black market cigarette selling going on because I think there's probably quite a bit of it already. I mean, that's the, the point of Simon Clark from Forest. Um, creeping prohibition won't stop young adults smoking. Um, it'll just drive it underground and black markets, uh, unregulatable un, um, markets will set up. I mean, very reminds you very much about, um, I can't say this word, marijuana, which is on the other side of that. The argument there is that if we allow supermarkets to sell it, then we'll be able to regulate it and stop unnecessary deaths. Um, at the moment, we drive it underground by trying to prevent it. Here, we're sort of saying we're going to make laws to stop people smoking, and um, sort of, and across it, it'll drive it underground like weed. Um, last question: increased duties. Um, I mean, that sounds to me like something that um, penalises people with less wealth. Although smoking is very harmful, I just a little bit ideologically opposed to anything that says a rich person can do it but a poor person can't thank you very much indeed you're so but so um knowledgeable about so many things um the um uh paul um is this a nanny state i mean are you going to talk like a tory here and say you know how dare you tell us whether we can smoke or not we've got the right to do it you're bringing in a nanny state this is the Tories bringing this in, by the way. Well, that's, it's really difficult to say. Like, what do they mean by a nanny state? These kind of regulations don't work anyway, so it's not going to change anything, is it? You know, it they've increased the age to 18. That didn't change anything. There's still children smoking. Children will get cigarettes from somewhere. They, it's, it, they're just using the wrong tool. If they want to reduce smoking then maybe make people's lives a little bit better because it tends to be the people who get into smoking in the teenage years tend to be the people who maybe don't have that much and maybe aren't enjoying their lives that much. And, you know, I, I work with um, children with social, emotional and mental health needs. A lot of them do it, they say, to de-stress. And we try to work with them to help them to stop or to encourage them not to start. But, you know, they're exposed to the the ability to have cigarettes. They'll go to tab houses or whatever. You know, this is not this is not going to change anything. Yeah, I don't understand why they would focus on that and think it would work. It doesn't really make very much sense to me whatsoever. Thank you. I'm just going to break in there before I ask you another question. Um, and um, just but there's some fabulous comments um, be coming up. Um, Jan Gray, preventative measures, Jane, probably means paying their mates for advertising space. And then a very similar comment from Jacqueline Hemmings. Once she agrees with you, uh, Paul, that teenagers suffering from depression don't care about their health. Um, so, sort of, uh, but a cynical part of me, she says, is thinking that all of the anti-smoking ads, like AIDS, like patches and gum, must be worth billions. And and sort of just uh, sort of, oh, you are cynical, all you people. Um, the um, uh, Neil Terry, it's not about selling; it's uh, known about marketing. And uh, somebody there, oh, Kerry Wilkes, thinks you're brilliant, Jane. There you go. We do too. Sort of very, very perceptive, um, Kerry. Um, uh, <laughs> Neil, Terry, Neil Terry wants you to train your dog to bite Tory ankles, um, by the way. Um, uh, but Boris Johnson is saying that if we can't do these kind of things, the alternative is to put up national insurance to pay for the uh, costs to the um, NHS. What's your response to that, Paul? <laughs> oh 
get rid of privatisation in the NHS, that would cut cut a lot of costs. Again, give people better lives. You know, like the the problem isn't like smoking is a consequence of a difficult life. And I'm not everyone who smokes has a terrible life or whatever, but it is more prevalent in certain um, in in certain people as people with certain issues. You know that these are. These are provable facts. If you go and find out who is taking up smoking in this day and age, it is probably people from primarily working class or, or you know, that kind of background who are taking it up or very, very posh people who are able to afford it. Um, so, yeah, the, put up taxes. That seems to be their thing. It's funny, isn't it, that this low tax conservative government are always talking about putting up national insurance because that's not a tax. That's like the NHS tax, which actually isn't the NHS tax. It's all smoke screens and things like that. They just want to charge. And it's also one of the most regressive taxes as well because poorer people pay a greater proportion. And once people earn over a certain amount, the national insurance amount plummets that they have to pay. So, yeah, again, it's a smoke screen in order to get poor people to pay for things. Thank you. Thank you, Paul. Um, just moving on with that, so Kerry Wilkes um, just shouting deprivation, exclamation mark, deprivation. Um, uh, one of the things that's being said is that this measure is part of levelling up because there is more smoking in deprived areas. I mean, th there's no doubt about it that... Um, People in deprived areas have worse health, but part of it is their behaviours, um, and smoking is one of them. I mean, Stuart, give us your final thoughts on this. What, what, what's, the, what's the answer here? You know, this doesn't work for me, because, you know, taking away options won't fix this. But giving people opportunities and support will. And ultimately, the government won't uh, create a situation that will give people opportunities to change. To, there's, there's, there's no support there. And with deprivation, absolutely right. The demographic that is worse hit by these social issues are the poorest. And we have a government who has just yesterday said that it wouldn't expand uh, school meals to everyone on universal credit because you know we think it's better off if we spend the money on breakfast. But we're not going to spend the money on breakfast. We've got a government who literally won't give any working class people the opportunities that they deserve and need. Thank you, Stuart. Um, and I'm going to wrap it up there. Um, what a fabulous discussion tonight. What fabulous things the team have said. Um, a mic drop moment from Jane. Stuart ending up with, I think, the quote of the century there. Um, and uh, sort of, Paul, people were agreeing with you tonight, which is, is good. And um, sort of, and the listener's quote of the week comes from Sunwig, who suggests that for uh, every... Every boatload of refugees that comes across to Dover, we ought to send a plane load of Tories to Rwanda. And uh, sort of, you've got to smile at that idea. Thank you, everybody, um, for your comments, uh, for listening to us. We're privileged that you've tuned in to listen to us. Thank you, Jane. Thank you for having me. No, 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 it's the other way around. Thank you. Thank you, Stuart. God bless you. Thank you. And thank you, boss. And I'll now just let you um, say your final words and say goodbye. Let the boss speak class. God bless you. I don't like bosses, John. I don't like being referred to as the boss. I'm not, I'm not really in favour of bosses existing. But anyway, <laughs> but thank you. Um yeah, thanks everyone. Thanks for the comments. Uh, it's really imp no people reported on the flight for Rwanda tonight. So that just goes to show what legal standing the government were in. Challenge them. Keep challenging people. That's what we need to do. 
there it might seem sometimes like there aren't very many of us but there are more and more people who are speaking exactly as we are so tell them about socialist think tank tell them about what we do stick together that's what it's all about it doesn't matter what political party you actually support we're all different um we all have different preferences in that area obviously a lot of us are labor party on this call however we will accept people from any political party because it is about the movement it is about people who want to change the world so tell people about it support one another stick together because solidarity will bring change join socialist think tank at socialistthinktank.com like us on all different social media platforms it really does help us and um yeah, let's call it let's call it a night there. Thank you so much and thank you to our brilliant host John. Thank you for the amazing comments tonight. Without our watchers and listeners, the show would be absolutely utterly pointless and you are a huge part of it. So thank you everyone and we will see you all soon. Take care. Next week, next week. We'll keep the red flag flying here.